Welcome to Commuter Highlights from First Church Belfast. Here we've distilled our normal Sunday service into a call to worship, a prayer, two readings, a sermon and an organ outro for you to listen to on your way to work, out on a walk or wherever. If you feel so inclined, you can support our work by going to firstchurchbelfast.org and clicking on the donate button. We really would appreciate it. Here is this week's Commuter Highlights from First Church, Belfast. Good morning everyone and a very warm welcome to this, our service of worship here in First Church, Belfast. Come now to this quiet place, to the centre of calm in a busy world. Come now to your God. Come now to the God who knows your every thought and yet cares. Come now to the God who has heard your every cry and has suffered your hard hearts and yet cares. Come now to the God of energy and calm, now to the God who walks with you and bids you rest. Come now and find the healing you need. Come and find God, for God calls you. We join together in prayer. Eternal and ever-loving God, you declare through the words of the prophets and saints, through scripture and tradition, that you love us and you desire for us to know you more. From the creation of the world, you have chased humanity, constantly pouring your love, life and gifts into all who bear your image. Help us to know that we are valued, that we are gifted, and that you have called us all to follow you and to build your kingdom in our world. We come acknowledging that you are beyond our higher, highest thoughts. You are greater than we could ever imagine, and yet you come to us and offer a new way of life, a life of forgiveness, of peace and of hope. And we praise you for all that you have done for us, and we wait in hopeful anticipation of all that you will continue to do. You are unlike anything else we may encounter in our lives, and it is only right that we come to you with praise and worship. We praise you for the example you provided in the person of Jesus, for the teachings he gave and the model he gave for us to live out. And we are all too aware, though, that we fail to follow the footsteps of Jesus. We struggle to love our neighbours, and at times we do not love you. And so forgive us. Forgive us when our faith is lukewarm. Forgive us when we do not act or speak as you would have us. Send your spirit that we may be transformed into your likeness and that you may give us the tools to build your kingdom here on earth. Be with us and bless us as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught when he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Brian Bilston is a poet 
who has generally made a name for himself as a bit of a comic poet, but occasionally he does poems that reach the heart in another way. It's a comic one. I have a small one here, an aid memoir, which I think a lot of us can identify with. 30 days has September, April, June and November, unless a leap year is its fate, February has 28, but all the rest of three days more, except in January, which is 6,184. But the poem I'm going to read today is a poem he wrote in 2016 entitled Refugees. Now when I first read this, at first reading, I almost took a buckle in my eye. It's a lesson not to react until you hear the whole thing. So please bear with this poem as I read it. Refugees. They've no need of our help, so do not tell me these haggard faces could belong to you or I, should life have dealt a different hand. We need to see them for who they really are. Chancers and scroungers, layabouts and loungers, with bombs up their sleeves, cutthroats and thieves, they're not welcome here. We should make them go back to where they came from. They cannot share our food, share our homes, share our countries. Instead, let us build a wall to keep them out. It is not okay to say these are people just like us. A place should only belong to those who are born there. Do not be so stupid to think that the world can be looked at another way. If we read this from the bottom up, the world can be looked at at another way. Do not be so stupid to think that a place should only belong to those who are born there. These are people just like us. It is not okay to say build a wall to keep them out. Instead, let us share our countries, share our homes, share our food. They cannot go back to where they came from. We should make them welcome here. They are not cutthroats and thieves with bombs up their sleeves, layabouts and, and loungers, chancers and scroungers. We need to see them for who they really are, should life have dealt a different hand. These haggard faces could belong to you or I, so do not tell me they have no need of our help. Amen. Our second reading is the traditional lectionary reading for this particular Sunday, and it comes from John's Gospel. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made from pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and the money given to the poor? 
He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and he used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Amen. This morning's theological storyteller we call John has told what is a very old story. And this story seems to have been reworked several times as it appears in various guises in at least three other Gospels. In John's Gospel, in which we just read from, it is a good woman who is uh, part of the story. In Luke's Gospel, it is a sinful woman. In Mark, the woman anoints Jesus' head, but in Luke and John, she anoints his feet. And then later generations wrongly imagined the woman was actually Mary Magdalene. And the differences go on. In John, it is Judas who objects to the whole thing going happening. In Matthew, it's the disciples who object. In Mark, it is some of the guests in the house who object. In Luke, it was Simon the Pharisee who objected. In Matthew and Mark, all this took place in the house of Simon the leper. In Luke, it happened in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And in John, it takes place at the home of Lazarus. Are you confused? Well, it's certainly quite a story we have on our hands. And amid all the changes and differences in this story, I began to wonder, if I really listen to this story, where is its focus? For this is the important thing. Picking apart the contradictions is easy, and I've seen plenty of atheist websites that devote themselves to finding these contradictions as if it proves their case. But what they are actually doing is ignoring the deeper question, which is what is so important about this story that the gospel writers felt it needed to be told even at the expense of a consistent narrative. So in response, let me make the following suggestion. The real focus, I feel, is on the response of this woman. But as we also know, the woman's response is not always welcomed. It wasn't back then, and in some churches these days, it isn't either. The protests in many of these stories seem to focus on a waste of resources, with those resources supposedly should have been going towards uh, alleviating the poor. Wastefulness is something that is in the news at the minute, and with the enormous hike in gas and electricity prices, many, many people are going to find themselves in grave financial difficulties. And so savings will need to be made wherever possible. The idea of deliberately wasting something is now considered by many to be a sin. And it's a concern for more people than just the people of my parents' generation who grew up with rationing and the make-do-and-mend mindset. According to the Office of National Statistics, 
The average person in the UK produces 412 kilograms of waste every year. To put it into a different context, that's nearly half the weight of a Nissan Micra every year for every single person. And that's even with our recycling bins and those little green caddies that we have to put the waste food in. And speaking of food, I once sat beside a manager of one of the big supermarkets here uh, at a wedding I had conducted. This was roughly 10 years ago, so I presume that what he said to me then is relevant today. He told me that every week his supermarket threw out £20,000 worth of food. And maybe it was the chain, it wasn't just his particular store. As I said, it was 10 years ago. And I asked him why they didn't just give it away. But he said under the food and safety laws, his hands were tied. They had to throw it away. And a lot of that food was good quality. There was nothing wrong with it. It had just gone beyond its best before date. That is a huge amount of food waste. And if you multiply it by the other supermarkets and the wholesalers and the restaurants, and etc., it's a frightening vision of waste. And this story that we read in John today seems to chime with this sort of sentiment. But the theologian Bill Loader offers this comment. He says, It is not that we should see her response as stroking the ego of Jesus, but rather as indicative of her response. A person is responding to love and acceptance. It is not the time to talk budgets, but to value the person. In the process of thinking and talking about this story, I find myself remembering some other stories uh, from the Gospels. Stories such as the man who had two sons, the man with a hundred sheep, or ninety-nine sheep, and the woman who had ten coins. So I went back to them and I started to read them out aloud again. And as I was listening to myself telling these stories, this is what I heard. In the parable of the man who had two sons, we meet the younger son who, after collecting his share of the family's estate, leaves home and spends it all on an extravagant living. And when he returns home broke, he is welcomed back by his father who bankrolls him and uses his brother's inheritance to, to through an extravagant homecoming party. In the parable of the one sheep that goes missing from a flock of 100, the shepherd goes off searching for the last one until he's found. And when he finds that one sheep, he throws a party in an act of extravagance, maybe even offering one of the sheep as part of the party food. And likewise, in the parable of the woman who loses a coin, with a sense of urgency, she lights a lamp. She sweeps the house and she goes on the search. She's in charge of the household finances. Indeed, her power and her status derive from maintaining an orderly household management. So she doesn't give up until she has found that one coin. And then she throws an extravagant party probably spending that coin that she found and several others beyond it in honour of the recovered coin and her own selfhood. 
And these stories don't make any sense, not in a practical sense. A lot of effort is put in for what turns out to be a net loss. What they get is less than the time, effort and money put in in order to obtain it. Years ago, decades ago in fact, my auntie used to spend time scarring the local newspapers looking for coupons to cut out. 5p of toilet rolls, 10% of baked beans, buy one get one free and a pound of mints, you know the sorts of, of things they used to have in the papers. And so every Saturday she'd jump into the car with a fistful of coupons. And first she went to Supermac, spent her coupon, got her thing, then she went off to crazy prices, and then she went off anywhere else that was involved in these newspaper coupons. And the irony was, of course, that the 78p she had saved for the coupons evaporated because of the extra two pounds she'd used in petrol, driving here, there and everywhere. Extravagance is not linked with waste or foolishness in these three stories from Luke's Gospel. Instead, extravagance is linked with joy. As it is, I, I reckon, in this morning's story from John. But what of John's what of John's added comment? There will always be the poor amongst you, but I will not always be around. Well, I decided to go back and hear that particular phrase again, checking the passage from Deuteronomy, which many scholars feel that John was inspired by. And this is what I heard. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbour in your land. Open your hand. Be compassionate to others. Of course, the word compassion comes from the Latin, or two Latin words, calm and passus, meaning with feeling or with emotion. It means from the very depth of your person. So with the broader Deuteronomy text ringing in my ears, I reckon this story from John implies that it was Mary with the perfume and the touch, and not Judas with the speech and the pious sounding advice, whose response was genuinely compassionate. The speech by Judas sets up a competitive situation and a closed hand. The action of Mary sets up common likenesses and an open hand. Matthew Fox, who was very much involved in the creation spirituality movement back in the 60s and 70s, has some interesting comments on compassion which might be helpful to us today. He says, competition isolates, separates and estranges. Compassion unites, makes one, and embraces. If we can move from competition to compassion, we will have moved from dull and moralistic and ungrateful and legalistic thinking to celebrative thinking. Celebration leads to fuller and fuller compassion. Extravagance and celebration and joy. For of such things are the images of the glimpsed alternative and revelation of potential called, by, called for 
in the realm or the kingdom of God. I think Jack Spong has got it right when he said we are to love wastefully. Amen. Go your way rejoicing in the Spirit's power for change. And may the living God, Creator, Redeemer and Spirit work with you and within you until God's justice fills the earth. Amen.